Hello and welcome to another episode of the World Class Agency Podcast. My name is Sam Hunter. I am not Mark Worrell and I am joined for at least the next two weeks by Mr. Simon Gates, fill-in extraordinaire. You'd call him the ultimate sub-fielder. He always gets run-outs, um, at least in estate agency land. Anyway, Simon, thank you for, uh, one, giving the listeners uh, the chance to hear somebody other than my voice, and two, for saving me from having to talk to myself for 20 minutes for the next two weeks. I appreciate you jumping in and joining the show. You're very welcome. And when you, when you started saying that, I was, I was going to try and do a really bad impression of uh, Mark's um, dulcet Northwest tones, but I thought, no, I better not do that. Mark is the ultimate Gary Neville imp- impressionist. Yeah, <laughs> he is, isn't he? Yeah. He is, absolutely. Well, mate, uh, yeah, I'm pleased to have you here. I'm actually looking forward to this. As, as uh, the most Sam and Simon thing ever, uh, we've come at this with a bit of a rough agenda, but I reckon... In 25, 30 minutes time, we'll end up somewhere that we're both proud of and everyone's got a bit of value from. So um, we will get to uh, why I think we're going to have a good discussion on this show in a second, which is that you've got some real world stories to share um, about what's actually going on out there in a state agency land on both sides of the good and bad fence. But before we do that, I think it would be remiss of us uh, to not have a little bit of a conversation about the cricket uh, and do our very best to relate that back to real estate or estate agency um, and the lessons that we can learn from that. My my summary, uh, just so I can sneak this in before you go off, uh, is that cricket was the real winner and England was the <laughs> real loser. Uh, and for me, I'm happy with that. So I'm going to ask how... How were you feeling back in Australia that whilst you have retained the Ashes, you still haven't won a series in England since 2001? And that was I think that just goes to show how close the teams are and how hard it is to win away from home. Um, we had our chances. Like we, we probably should have won that game yesterday. We were in a pretty good spot. Uh, and I think one of the advantages of batting a little bit slower than T20 style in in a test match is that the opposition bowlers get a bit tired. And I think if you'd said to us on day five, you've got to get 250 runs and you've got 10 wickets in hand, we'd have gone, yeah, cool, we'll win this game. And it just goes to show that the the will of Stuart Broad, namely, switching to Bales, what a trick. He'd have got 1,000 test wickets if he knew how to do that five years ago. Um, his will, uh, some some pretty good captaincy from Stokes, um, and just the umpires and weather conspiring against us with a with a weird ball change, uh, just yeah meant that it ended up with an England win in a, a drawn series and only a retention of the Ashes. But I mean, that's enough, isn't it? That's why cricket's the real winner, and I think England will I, feel like they're the real loser. They definitely, you guys definitely played the best cricket. But it's, and here's the bit we can try and relate back to a state agency. You might play the best cricket you might have the best listing presentation in the world you might have the best marketing in the world you might have the best branding in the world you might have the biggest budget in the world but if you don't win the moments that count you don't win the match and so uh, and this is where those new hungry empathetic agents naive agents almost where they can't sit back and rest on their laurels and their experience can come in um, and start snapping up market share it's because they end up winning those those key moments you know the 
thing I liked about this is all I've done for the last four minutes on this show is talk and you've asked a question. That's the fundamental difference, I think, with excellent real estate agency, excellent podcasting. One person asks a question, the other person does all the talking. It works really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's, that's where I think it can come down to with the Ashes is Australia, in those first two tests and won the moments, the weather won the moment of the fourth test and England definitely won the moments in the other two, even though the sides were pretty evenly split. So if you're listening to this and not a cricket fan, the lesson out of all of this is where are the moments day to day that matter most to your clients, to your buyers, to your sellers, to your landlords, to your tenants, to yourself, to your staff, to your friends, to your family, and how do you show up as best you can in those moments to give them exactly what they need? What a link back to estate yeah. agency, show up, in the, show up in the right moments. Sometimes I get there. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, very good. Um, did you have anything else you want to add on that or should we swiftly move on and stop talking about well, cricket? I, I think the only thing I, I would add on that, and I'm, I'm conscious of <laughs> some of the listeners not being cricket fans because when I share some cricket stuff on my uh, Instagram stories, I get certain agents uh, who are like, can you stop sharing cricket stuff? It's boring. <laughs> and I'm like, no. Uh, but I think that what a fantastic advert for test cricket. Hmm. You know, you think in, in, in recent years, well, over the last decade, 15, 20 years, with T20 and the 100 and trying to, I don't know, speed up cricket, make it sexier, etc. I think you can relate that back to the state agency. Um, but actually, I think in the market we're in at the moment, it's the traditional, you know, like proper service-led estate agents who are going to win the day, but... If we just look at Ben Stokes and Basball as an example, there is a modern twist on that. You know, you've got Joe Root scooping it over his head for six in, in test matches like which you think would be crazy 20 years ago. So I think relating that back to the state agency, great service, um, you know, traditional values, but and then things like video now, for example, but it wasn't so big at that point. No, you, you've articulated that clearer than anything. If I remember back to uh, Joe Root's like debut series in Australia where he was – he's still pretty baby-faced now and I know a thing or two about having a baby <laughs> face, but he was he looked young. He looked frail almost, such was his stature. <laughs> but he played lovely cover drives uh, and a great pull shot. He didn't pull a ramp out. He didn't reverse sweep. He didn't hit sixes, really. You know, he was always along the ground, always in control, very elegant, um, kind of like the Damien Martin of uh, in his in his pomp uh, of the English cricket team, where the ball just never left the ground. Now he's he's hitting reverse ramps uh, of 145k an hour, like bumpers, and that is that is the 15 year estate agency veteran pulling out their phone and recording a video and a market update and sending it out and not really worrying about what they look like. It's understanding that times change um, and tactics yeah. change and strategies change. And you want to, Ben Stokes is another fantastic example. He's not swashbuckling when he doesn't need to be, you know, he, I think his pace of play is often determined by his partner, but he's got yeah. it all there when, when necessary. And that's a bit of the same thing in a state agency. Yes, the market is is around you, but 
you're in control of your actions. So you don't have to go out there and smash sixes if you don't need to. But he's always in there consistently turning the strike over. He attacks when he needs to attack, etc. And it's the same thing for really good agents. There's We come back to winning the moments that, that matter. In every day and every week and every month, every quarter, every year, the market's going to have ebbs and flows. And if you know how to play those ebbs and flows better than everybody else, then you'll capitalize on those moments over and over and over again. You don't have to go at 100 miles an hour all the time because then you'll get out or you'll be sick or burnt out or whatever it might be. And if you just sat there blocking consistently, which is waiting for the phone to ring, you're just going to get yourself yeah. out because you're going to get frustrated and you're going to make a mistake. So I feel like that's we've done really well there to tie a few things in together. Um, and anyone who doesn't like cricket now should because it's an absolute modicum <laughs> of life and there's just so many things you can learn from it. And if we've got any Bluey fans listening, there's a fantastic episode that's all about cricket and it'll make you cry because it, it talks to you about facing your fears and getting on the front foot and doing all these amazing things. Uh, and we should all just learn from sport and cartoons. That's your life. <laughs> that is my life. That generally is my life, is sport, cartoons, and real estate. Uh, and that's okay. I love that. <laughs> uh, very well said. So um, you've come on this show. Uh, one, to give the listeners somebody else to listen to. But two, you said to me that a couple of your mates have just gone through um, experiences in the market and you thought, if it's a, a podcast called the World Class Agency Podcast, it might make sense to talk about stuff on either side of that spectrum. So um, you can name and shame if you want, but I'm pretty sure you won't. Uh, talk, talk, <laughs> us through, talk us through what you've heard. So well, I'll, I'll do the really, 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 really bad experience um, okay. first. And just there might be some listeners you've heard me um, sort of say this to them on, on the phone in the past week or so, but... I'm going to very quickly share briefly what's happened and I'm really keen to get your thoughts on it. Um, but essentially, uh, one of my friends is a very, very nervous first-time buyer right now. Um, and I think for obvious reasons, he's like messaging me all the time going, this has just been said in the news. This has just been said in the news. Mm. Um, now, there was, a, there was a property on the market um, at £500,000. Um, it dropped to four seven five, and against my advice, he actually ended up by uh, agreeing to buy it at four five five. Um, he got pushed up um quite a bit by by this agent. I think young naive first time buyer uh, took a bit of advice from me, and then went a bit crazy. Um, because I said you don't want to be paying you know more than four two five for it. Anyway, fast forward. I think we then had another month of inflation going up, another base rate rise. And he said to me, Simon, I don't like the look of this. I don't think I should be buying a house right now. I was like, funny, because that will happen quite often when you think of all these excuses I had done in, in, in years gone by. And um, he says to the estate agent that I'm really, really sorry to do this, but I'd be more comfortable buying it at 425 with everything that's going on right now rather than 455. And the estate agent went, no, not having it, not having it. We're going to put it back on the market. We've got other people interested. You've got to pay 455 or it's nothing. And he went, well, I'll pay 425 for it. He went, no, it's going back in the market. Very shortly after that, the property then reduces to an asking price of 450. <laughs> so clearly didn't have other buyers. So the trust mm. level from my friend is is going down with the agent. It then reduces to 425. It then reduces to offers over 400. So it's 100 grand less than the original asking price and 25,000 pound less than my friend's offer. And my friend rings me a few days ago and he says, mate, 
if I'd done something wrong, because I presented an offer of 425 to this estate agent, and they, they still haven't come back to me on it, and the property's on the market that offers over 400. And I was like, well, you would have annoyed them slightly when you uh, reduced your offer, having had a, a price agreed, but you, you had fair comment on, on sort of why you were doing that. But yeah, that doesn't represent the whole industry. Um, but unfortunately, there is a, a select few. Um, and there was a massive amount of conditional selling as well. Mm. They had clearly said to him under no uncertain terms, you will get this house if you use our mortgage broken um, solicitors. Wow. And he he said to me, the, the last thing he said was, and it's really interesting, he's not on the stage, and he's like, I just really don't get it, mate, because let's say I buy this house, I'm a first-time buyer, I imagine I'll be there for half a dozen years, is how he sees the bank going. He's like, I'll never sell it through them. <laughs> and I laughed. I said, that's really interesting you're saying that as a not even a homeowner yet. And the conversations we've had with agents about, you know, not just getting the buy now, but the, the sale in the future. So that is the really, really bad experience. And he's still not heard from uh, the estate agent. <laughs> so in a market that is going to have less transactions than in 22, 21, you know, rates are up, affordability stretch, there's less buyers out there, there's more houses on the market, it's harder to sell. You've got an agent with an open goal there and, mm. you know, they're failing their, their client miserably. I think there's, what are your that's, thoughts on that? So uh, I've got a question for your friend who can't answer it, so you're just going to have to answer it on his behalf. But has he gone back to the agent and said, hey, do you remember that offer I made of 425? Or has he just sort of that's left what, it? That's what I told him to do when he yeah. rang me. And I've, I've not spoken to him for the best part of a, a week now. But um, I said to him, you just got to go back to them. He said, but that's not my job. Like, surely mm. I want to sell a house to me. I said, yeah. But unfortunately... Uh, you've come up uh, against one of the the better performing agents. Um, so you, you got to do a bit of the work for them. And he's like, this sucks. Like, this isn't how it should be. So I'm not really enjoying this experience. It's like, no, it's it's not it's not the best of experiences, even at the best of times. Unfortunately, you've got an agent who's more worried about selling you financial services and mm. uh, conveyancing um, as opposed to getting it sold. I think... <laughs> That, so there's a, there's an element of pride that's certainly uh, <laughs> stopping that agent from picking up the phone and and calling your friend. But nobody likes to be wrong, and real estate agents hate being wrong, as a, as a bit of a general rule. And if this person or this agent has has been around a little while, and there's a hundred thousand pound discount off an asking price already, and that's public to the market. Um, and he said no to a buyer who's now £25,000 above the current asking price. Offers over, let's just call it at four hundred and, and say that that's the asking price. So I, th I think pride and a level of ego is, is stopping him or her from picking up that telephone. I've got a funny feeling it is a guy, the agent. I don't think <laughs> I don't think uh, a lady would have let that happen. I think they would have picked up the phone and gone, hey, let's do a deal. Because that's just the way they are. <laughs> uh, better than us at this. So that's a real challenge for that agent. And that's a challenge for everybody. My pride kills deals more than anything, more than interest rates, more than inflation, more than gazumping. It's pride without a shadow of a doubt. And and I think a world-class estate agent parks theirs and asks yeah. loads of questions um, as the world-class podcast guests as well. So, yeah, um, my reaction to that is it, it, you're right. It is exceptionally poor. 
um, not just for your friend, but for the seller as well. Yeah. Uh, and what I imagine, I'm, I'm going to do my best to put my real estate agent hat on for this this gentleman and think to myself, does he want to present the same buyer back at 30 grand less? 30 grand? Yeah, at 30 grand less and yeah. say, hey, they've come back and presented this and and that I doubt they'd say and they you know and they did it 6 weeks ago it'll be like hey they've come in again and we've got them up to 425 from offers over 400 um will they be able to present your friend and get it agreed again knowing that he already pulled out in the past so there's there's loads of thoughts that have gone through their mind where they've just put your mate in the too hard basket i think it's unprofessional yeah. certainly um but that's what emotions do to you when things are running high. And potentially they thought if we get a good price reduction on this and we can realign it and there's people entering the market. I saw an article this morning that mortgage approvals have jumped again. Um, so maybe they're thinking there's going to be other activity out there. You know, It's a good place. We'll see what happens. But the one job that we all have is to call people back. And yeah. they didn't. They didn't do that for your mate, and I don't reckon they would have given it. Uh, they would have given the service to the seller that's required as well. So, does he still want to buy it? Like, do you reckon he would have called them back and put the offer back in? Um, yeah, he wanted. He wanted to. He he wanted to buy it. Um, because I said to him, maybe this isn't the right one, considering mm. when the news came out at the time of inflation, rates a bit higher, etc. And you were you were nervous. I was like, trust me, mate. You'll know if 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 it's a one. Um, his girlfriend will be nudging him going, we're getting this, even if it's going to cost a little bit, we're getting it. I was like, maybe it's just not the one. Um, but he he'll, he still seems to be keen on it because even though, you know, um, there's more property on the market than there was a year ago, mm. it's still very, very low. And that's something he'd said to me. He said, well, it's not a lot of choice out there, mate. I was like, yeah, imagine if you were looking a year or two ago, it's even even less choice. Even worse, yeah. Um, but I, I think the thing as well, from what you uh, just saying, and I can't remember when it was it was a while ago and i'm going to butcher the language used by you and or mark but it was something along the lines on the podcast where you guys had said don't make the decision for your clients mm. as in like oh we won't ring sam because um he's not going to reduce his asking price he's set on that price and it's a bit like what this agent's done here with the ego and the pride and they've got no i'm not going back to him because you know he he knocked his offer down it's like yeah but you've got to remember you're you know you're serving the client the owner uh, of the property and making sure they get sold and move on to you know to their next chapter um so yeah, I, I think that a, a level of maturity and self-awareness would try to part that you go to one side to to get the best result for their client that was one of the takeaways from eric uh was it's not our job to decide yeah so yeah. Uh, you know and, and again that yeah that is park your pride park your ego whatever you want to call it but but just double down on your professionalism. I'm a professional. My job is to present. Your option is to is to decide, and I'll support either way. You can't filter information. You just collect it, present it, and and accept it effectively moving forward. Um, and I, I, you know, if I'm you and I'm going back to your mate, I'd be the same thing. Like, hey, if this is the one for you, go and make that offer, and put it in writing that you're going to proceed pending uh, something goes wrong with the structure or whatever it might be. Give them a solicitor's name, instruct the solicitor before you make the offer. 
So give the agent the confidence that they might need to separate their ego and their pride and go back to the yep. seller. You've probably already done this with a smile on your face. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think it's his job now because he pulled out price, fear, whatever it might be. He's got to write that wrong to a degree too. Um, and then yep. the agent, if you're listening to this, pick up the telephone. There's probably other people that have made offers and pulled out in the past and he sells wondering what's going on. You know, I'd be very surprised if that was a one-off uh, because behavior tends to rhyme. Um, so there's definite corrections that can be made uh, there and there's definite confidence that can be added to his offer if he does a little bit of legwork when he comes back, if it is the one. Get the feeling it's not though. You wouldn't have pulled out if it was at 4.55 if it was the absolute one. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was the one, but hey, hey. We've, um, had, so we've had that like feeling I'm... though, you know, so you, it's it, when, when you walk, I mean, we, so we just uh, refinanced our place um, and, and settled on the refinance yesterday. Um, really good experience actually, which was quite cool. And I, we had to get the place valued um, in as part of that process. And the market has been average here. Uh, but turns out we we have uh, more than a significant chunk of equity um, because I thought we bought it. I thought we pay what we had to pay when we bought this place. Turns out I think we bought it reasonably well, which is nice. But the reason why we paid what I felt we had to pay was because I stood in the backyard and I was like, yeah, this is home. And you have that feeling. And we sat out the front of the house at the open home when the other 40 people left and there was another couple in their car sitting up the road and my wife and my mother-in-law <laughs> were in the car with me. And they're like, are we leaving? I was like, no, no, we're going to stay here because these people are still parked there and they're going to go inside and make an offer if we don't freak them out now. And we sat there for 20 minutes looking at them. I had my sunglasses on and I had my eyes closed and I just kept asking, Lissy, are they still there? She's like, yeah, this is so awkward. And then literally they drove off. I said, hold on. We waited another couple of minutes and they came back into the street, saw that we were still there and then drove off again. So uh, to your mate and to anyone listening, that's what it feels like when you found the one <laughs> is yeah, you yeah. get you get weird. Uh, but you do what you got to do and you pay what you got to pay to get the house or the opportunity that gives you that feeling. Um, and if you had that feeling at 455, I reckon he would have gone with it. So uh, tell him to listen to this. Yeah. Take some advice from Uncle yeah. Sam and go and find a better house. <laughs> just just on something you, you'd said there i i i actually wanted to um bring it up in conversation uh today i was uh, watching um something on netflix last night and uh i'd not heard this language used before and i think it's brilliant it goes along the lines of your creating urgency mm. um kind of thing that you've discussed on podcasts before and the line that was used was we've got people paying airport prices and i like sat up and i was like that's a great line because, that is a great line. You know, the, yeah, the 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 agent is is out there trying to get buyers to pay airport prices, and so like, why why do people pay five pound for a bottle of water in an airport as opposed to you know could have paid a pound for it? Well, tough luck. You've gone through security, whatever. You you got to pay it. You're, you're thirsty. You're going on a flight. You want some water. You're going to pay five pound for it. Mm. It's ridiculously overpriced. It's airport prices. I mean, that is magnificent and that's now the title of this podcast um, because uh, even if, if even if we only talk about it for 30 seconds, uh, it's intriguing and it makes a hell of a lot of sense. And as you just say, what else are you going to do? You are paying 15 quid for a pint uh, at Weatherspoons at 6 o'clock in the morning because there's no other option. It is what it is. Yeah. 
And so you, you've just made my brain go to, so when, again, back in my selling days, I'd sit there with um, our sellers and I'd be like, you need to invest in getting a, a building and pest inspection. So a, a building survey effectively. And they'd be like, well, we're not buying. And I said, yeah, but if you want people to pay airport prices, my thing was always you get a premium price by getting more people in the room. If you want to get more people in the room, you've got to bring confidence. The way you do that is you tell them, you show them, literally show them with a disclaimer and a, and a liability and everything, but there's no termites and the roof's in good nick and it doesn't leak and everything's where it needs to be. Um, and it's that's how you get people to pay airport prices is you give them, in real estate sense, you the you put them through security. So you tell them there's nothing wrong structurally. You give them a list of really solid comparables. You don't back them into a corner to use your lawyer or anything like that, but you give them a choice. Um, and ideally, if you can do that, imagine that you get an inquiry through on right move, you actually pick up the telephone instead of sending an email back and you say, yep, that place is, we, we can show you through tomorrow at 4.15 or 3.45 or we'll be there on Saturday at 10 o'clock. And hey, would you like a copy of the structural report? And I can get you the EPC, not just a brochure with three photos and a floor plan on it, you know, that uh, miraculously measures cupboard spaces, floor area as well. It's giving them all the things to take away all those objections. So you're taking them through security because then you can ask them, you can get them to pay nine quid for a bottle of water or 455,000 pounds for a property that might be worth 410. Um, really good point. And air, uh, air prices, that's definitely one of those. Yeah, that's in the bank. There we go. Um, yeah. So I feel like there's been quite quite a bit of, um, of bashing on a certain estate agent from me. So... Um, shall I present you with the the second story, which is actually world class agency in my mind? Yes, yes, please. Let's let's end on a bang. <laughs> so um, another uh, friend of mine um, went against my advice uh, several years ago. So I think this would have been. There's a common theme here, like friends going against my advice, even though I've been in agency for a while. Um, he bought a brand new uh, apartment in London in twenty. 15 2016 uh using help to buy big service charge on it no outside space others are being built around it i said <laughs> mate what are you what are you doing mm. um so in that time then what happens we've had brexit <laughs> uh that had perhaps impacted on on what he'd bought we then had covid we've had interest rate rises all these different things going on and that was like the possibly the worst kind of property you could have bought in the last half dozen years that doesn't go up in price. He literally has bought something that's gone down in price. And mm -hmm. it's quite funny because he works in like wealth management uh, <laughs> with high net worth individuals. Uh, and he was like, this is this is kind of ridiculous, isn't it? I'm like the only person to have bought a property in the last half dozen years to lose money on it. Uh, so he had a bit of a laugh about it. But um, he went to sell it and he went on with an agent and uh, that agent went, oh yeah, you'll get X for it. And he was like, oh, okay, that's, that's more than what I paid for it. And he said, oh, yeah, no, don't worry, market's good, do that. That didn't work. Uh, he ended up then reaching out to me and said, do you know any good agents around this sort of location in London? I was like, I do actually know a, a really good agent. Um, go speak to him. Um, and that has just completed last week. Now, that agent um, did various different things to get it sold. But the key thing for me was... He actually told my friend what he needed here, what, not what he wanted here. He said, mm. look, you've paid X for it. Others have been built around it. You used help to buy. Rates are different, da, 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 all these different things. And he said, this is where you need to be. 
He's like, if you put it on the market at that price a year ago, and probably be sold and moved by now, probably have your money. Unfortunately, because it's sat there stale, it might get a little bit less. And my friend's like, yeah, I get that. But the key key difference was once he'd agreed, and it's quite funny because my friend, being uh, the way he is, he said, oh, your fee's a bit high. He said, yeah, but you've gone with a lesser fee and they haven't sold it. And he said, what you're going to get with me is I'm not just going to sell this. I'm going to get some of the best agents in this area selling it. And my friend, well, what do you mean? He's like, I'm not just going to stick it on right and even wait for the phone to ring like the other agent. I'm going to go start speaking to other estate agents. And if they introduce a buyer, I will pay them a fee. That's why I'm charging you more money because I'm going to get you sold for the best price through my network of agents. And funnily yeah. enough, right, you wouldn't believe it, who is the agent that introduced a buyer to this estate agent? The original first agent. agent. Yeah. First agent. And the selling agent then went, great, here's a percentage of my fee. Thank you very much. Well, that original agent could have sold that property and got more of a fee than they did uh, if it actually had it at the right price. So, yeah, rather than just sticking it on right, maybe look, it's a bit tougher at the moment. Demand is down. Interest rates are up. There's less buyers out there, for example. Okay, well, charge the fees that you're worth and go and contact other local agents and say, hey, I've, I've got a property here. Do you have any buyers for it? And if you bring someone through and they buy it, I'll give you a bit of the fee. What an excellent way to build bridges rather than burn them. I think there's there's two things that I, I take from that story um, that were abundantly clear to me from, from moment one. First thing is that your clients will become your friends before your friends become your clients. Um, <laughs> I, I have had exact, I had a, a conversation with a very good friend of mine this morning about a house that he bought and he said quite sheepishly, I think I've bought pretty well. And I looked at it and I just said, yeah, we can work on it. Um, and it was the first I had, and again, I haven't sold houses in a really long time, but it was the first I'd, I'd known that any of that was going on. Whereas if it had been seven or eight years ago, I'd have been involved giving the same sort of advice that you would have been as well. Whether it would have been taken or not, I don't know. But because your friends still think of you as Simon Gates or Sam Hunter from high school or whatever it might be, it's very difficult for them to see the professional first whereas people who don't know you from what you were before what you are now only see that and then they get to know the human being uh, while they're on that journey and they're like wow you are actually uh, uh, like a dude as well as an agent i am going to be friends with you so yeah your clients are going to become your friends before your friends become your clients in most cases i think yeah. the second part is what a magnificent way of justifying a high fee we're gonna we're exactly. gonna put your fee to work and feed the other agents as well. Um, you can have the whole town, you can have the whole high street working for you. What a like! I'm gonna write that down because I quite like that line. Um, but yeah, not we work harder, we have more marketing and like that. It's it has to be high because I'm gonna get the whole high street working for you. If they introduce a buyer, I want every single person, every real estate professional in this town, county, area, whatever it is, ringing out on your house and I'm going to coordinate them all. That's why I'm 2% or whatever it might be. Uh, that's fantastic. And even better if they actually do it. And the fact that he got the original agent to produce a buyer and you know they earned something off the back of it is magnificent as well. My fear is a load of agents will just say it and then do nothing about it and, and stick it on the right move and hope for the best and then say, oh, no, I, I talked to them, but no one ever called me back. They're all shit. So... Um, it's a bit like what we used to say to people 
when we're sitting there saying with home search, like show them, don't tell them. So produce a list, get like BCC them into the emails that are going out to these other agents. So you can actually prove that you're doing what you said you're going to do with that high fee. Cause I think that makes all the difference in people being really comfortable. And we talk a lot on, on this show about showing your work and bringing people behind the scenes because you get more marks if you can show people how you got the answer rather than just producing the answer. And, and this is a really good way of doing that too, I think. So in terms of going behind the scenes, there's something I want to ask you, which I wanted to pick up on at the start. Um, but then we, we sort of fired into Ash's talk and we did. I think it got better of us. You mentioned a month off uh, social media. Mm. Um, and I, I saw you um, ironically celebrating that uh, with a post on Instagram <laughs> earlier uh, today. And I saw some of the results you said you'd, you'd had in terms of screen time down, reading books, etc. I'm sure lots of lots more quality time with, um, your daughter, wife, mum, friends, etc. But um, can you elaborate on that for like uh, for me, selfishly asking, uh, and then for the listeners on how you know how, how does it feel coming out the other side a month later? Mm. Uh, good question, and thank you. Um, it was really hard for the first week. <laughs> um, so I. I uh, initially on the 1st of July, so I did it as dry July. This was my dry July was no Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I don't have TikTok anyway. Um, that Instagram launched their new threads thing on July 1st. And I was like, well, I've missed the boat there. I've already lost my username. How good is that? Um, no LinkedIn. And I didn't announce it or anything like that. And actually, the, I went on LinkedIn today and there were some people being like, hello, hello. And I was like, well, whatever. The world hasn't burnt down. Um, and I said, I'm going to have a month off just to see how it is because I was spending a lot of time, you know, when you watch TV at night and you you just, the TV's on, but you're not paying attention and you're looking at social yep. media and everything like that. Um, and I, one, wanted to know how much time I was spending on it. And two, uh, I, I've done what you and I, uh, I think, uh, this is maybe one of the first things we ever bonded over. I bought a lot of books and never read them. Um, and, <laughs> and I was like, I could be sitting on the couch reading while MasterChef is on or while the ashes are on or anything like that. I don't necessarily need to be scrolling through social media, then getting frustrated that you're refreshed and it's the same shit that you've seen all the time or freaking out you're going to miss something. So I thought my dry July is going to be no social media. And it was it was really hard for that first week. I, I deleted it off my phone. Um, I always had my social medias on like the third app page. So my homepage is like, my emails, phone, text, WhatsApp, all that stuff. And then I'd, I always had to thumb across a couple of pages to get there. And my, my thumb would subconsciously and then not, not really know what to do. Uh, so that was super weird. And then after about a week, uh, it was like a switch was flicked. I didn't, I didn't miss it anymore. Um, the only time I freaked out about it is I'm part of a social golf club and we played our first like major of the year on Sunday. Um, and the groupings, uh, the times, everything is posted in the Facebook group the day before. And so I had to message one of the guys. I was like, can you just screenshot me that? Because I'm not on Facebook for another 27 hours or whatever it is at that point in time. Uh, I came third last for anyone watching. Did not did not play well. Uh, I think I shot 111. Really tough course. We're playing off the tips, but it was bad golf. Um, and... Yeah, so I, I, I hadn't missed it all. And then this morning I woke up and Lissy's like, you can go back on Facebook today. And I was like, yeah, cool. Um, and I actually went on 
LinkedIn, Facebook on my computer like this and was overwhelmed with the red dots of anxiety. Um, and I had friend requests and connection requests on both. Uh, and on on either, I only accepted one out of the 30 that were on each because I didn't know anybody else. And I just thought, what's the point? These people don't me, so they haven't missed anything. I don't really post on Facebook anyway, other than sharing stuff in the home search community that I think is going to actually add value to real estate agents. Um, and on LinkedIn, I've been sort of sharing the podcast um, and, and more engaging with other people's activity. You were the first four posts on my LinkedIn. So clearly uh, everyone's like, LinkedIn's like, did you miss him? <laughs> um, so I went through there. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I went on Instagram and the first thing I saw on Instagram uh, was a buyer's agent. And I, I watched this video from this lady and it was interesting. And then the next thing was an ad and I was like, I'm not enjoying this. I don't think I've missed it. Um, and yeah, I shared a post because I think it, social media has a purpose. But in the yeah. month that I had off, my screen time was down over nine hours a week, which is insane. Um, now, because I wasn't on my phone all the time on social media, I actually wasn't replying to emails and stuff on my phone as I usually would be in kind of jumping between apps. So I spent a bit more time on on my desktop. So it, it's not just nine hours a week on social media, but primarily I think it would have been. And in that nine hours, like I've managed to read two books in a month, which is not a, a, a huge amount for some of the voracious readers out there, but it's two more books than I've read in the last four months. So, yeah. uh, and I, I mean, I sleep really well anyway, but it wasn't, I don't have that sort of mindless scrolling sitting there at night or anything like that. Uh, Lissy tells me I cheated because I didn't delete YouTube. Uh, but I was like, how am I going to watch Rick Shields? Can't go, I don't want that for a month. So, yeah, the the lesson for me is that uh, I had always intended to spend less time on social media um, and then I always end up spending the same or more time. So intentions don't matter, your actions do. And sometimes you need to stop things entirely and you'll appreciate this with how long you've gone without having a beer. You need to stop things entirely to realize what they actually mean to you. You know, you don't know what you got till it's gone sort of thing or whatever those other lyrics to funny love songs are. Um, so, I, I, I subconsciously, like addictively missed it early. Uh, and now I'm almost disinterested in it. But I see, I see the point of it, uh, particularly Facebook and LinkedIn strategically. I think every estate agent under the sun can understand that as well. Um, and I mean, yeah, when I see, I, I think I'll spend more time on Instagram than the others because I think Instagram's a friendlier place. Um, and what I found myself doing today was when I saw a post from one of my friends that maybe I haven't seen in the month, I went and had a look to see what they've been up to for the last month. Um, on one hand, kind of weird. Uh, on the other I was telling myself, it's like, I wanted to see like what them and their kids have been doing. That's really interesting. You know, you don't get an opportunity as an adult to spend a lot of time with your friends like you used to when you're a kid or when you're a young adult, <laughs> when you've got commitments and family and all that sort of stuff. So just seeing them doing their lives and enjoying it and seeing how their kids are growing up is important to me. And if social media can be a tool to help that, that's great. But if I'm just sitting there like doom scrolling golf videos, you sent me 14 videos over the span of July. <laughs> uh, yeah. <God. laughs> um, some of them were really funny. 
uh, yeah, I, I don't think that that's that's how I I want to use it anymore. And again, I'm, I come back to that uh, intention versus action. This is just the now constant conscious reminder that I'm going to have for myself is. Uh, and the other thing I, I figured out, and this was interesting, with uh, giving up alcohol as well, you can't just add stuff into your life. I, I feel like if all you do is add then everything gets a bit lost along the way and you revert back to me. And if, if you want, you got to replace things. So social media was replaced by having a book next to me on the couch. So when I was disinterested in what we were watching on TV or listening, I weren't sitting there talking about life or anything like that. Then I'd pick up the book and do something. So if, if but I couldn't do the book and social and all that sort of stuff, you've got to replace one thing for another. Otherwise everything gets overwhelming and there is nothing. Yeah. Go on, glad I asked that question. Hmm. Yeah. No, I'd say to everybody, give it a crack. It's good. Maybe do it. Uh, yeah, dry July worked for me. Um, I think I'll do it again. I don't know when though. Um, well, it, it it made it made me think of the like you said the 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 drinking thing with me. Um, uh, I'm sure I'll I'll go back to having a drink at some point. But yeah, I don't know. I'm closing in on I think 250 days, and it's interesting what you say when you're sort of scrolling through. Um, you it, it's going to feel uncomfortable at the start, isn't it? Mm. But it, like when it's forming those habits, and I love what you said. Um, what was it? Intention doesn't matter; action does. I'm mm. definitely stealing that. So thank you. You're welcome. Um, I, yeah, I'm I'm more than confident that I stole that from somebody at some point. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try and bring this to a close. Uh, this week because we can continue this conversation next week because um, if I have my dates correct, you are going to give us two weeks in a row as uh, Summer Simon or whatever we call him. It's like Summer Reruns playing the classic hits. Uh, <laughs> Only Fools and Horses comes back on when everyone needs it because there's nothing else on TV. Um, so one of the points that I want to leave you a week to think about um, is actually uh, a quote that I read and the first thing I thought of was you. Um, and the quote was that you take your dreams and you turn them into decisions and that helps you build the life that you want. And I read that quote and I thought that's exactly what you've done uh, over the past six months um, and you should be commended on that, right? And so what I want to challenge you with and I'm going to give you some homework so that next week we can have um, a little bit more of a structured conversation to what we had now, right? But I want you to look at at aspects of your life and and note down where you've seen momentum because of the decisions that you've made um, because you're really unique. Well, actually, I don't know if it's that unique, but perhaps it is. I don't know. But you're an excellent case study for a lot of people who will be listening to this show and your podcast and people who aren't, but maybe this will be the one that gets them shared so they can hear it right, of somebody making a decision to do what they want to do and pulling it off and gaining momentum, not just in, in business, but in friendships and in love and all this sort of stuff, right? It's been significant for you, I think, 2023. Um, and if you're willing yeah. to share, I know I'm putting you on the spot and you had no idea this was coming, but this was the only bit that I had planned other than uh, the what I think is quite poetic of a cricket was the winner and England was the loser. Um, yeah, I, I want to I sit down. I want to talk to you about generating and maintaining momentum and – what that took, how that feels, how it felt then versus how it feels now, because that is what everybody listening to this show is looking to do across their life, business, etc. Um, and if we can get, if we can extract just some of the magic 
from how you've been able to do it, I think it's going to go a hell of a long way for everybody listening as well. So that's your mission. That's good to know. Accept it. I'll, I'll accept that one. All right. Lovely. Well, uh, on that bombshell, um, we do this, Simon, Mark, myself, because we love our industry and we want to see it grow and we want to see it get better. So if you found some value from today, if you've heard something that you're going to steal and make your own, as we do and so often then repeat on, on these sort of shows, please like, subscribe, share, tell a colleague, tell a competitor, up your fees and share it with them if they go and listen to this podcast. I'm Mark Worrell. No, I'm Sam Hunter. He's Simon <laughs> Gates. <laughs> Thank you very much. And we'll see you again next week.